Alrighty everyone, welcome back. Excited to be here for Monday Madness. This is Tavis Killian, and I'm back to a clean bill of health today after closing out last week with a bit of sickness. It was strange to be sick in a time after 2020 where things have almost gone back to normal. In 2020, you would cough in a grocery store and everyone would look at you as if you just spit onto the produce. Now you have a little sneeze in public and no one even offers a second glance. Change is the only constant, and there's likely plenty of change abound in our world. But you didn't come here to listen to some guy on the internet talk about the sniffles. You came here for the biggest news and most revealing statistics within the world of energy. Lately, I've been starting each day with a quick check of commodity prices, and I can't be sure whether or not that's a good idea. WTI finished out last week above $75 and peaked as high as $79 on last Tuesday evening. This week, we opened Monday at about $73.50, and I have no idea where the price is going. Markets seem to be wholly disconnected from what is going on in the world, and for some reason, the price of our valuable energy commodities is decreasing. Natural gas. Somehow, price is out to about $2.40 per MMBTU. Last time natural gas was this cheap was in August of 2020. This greatly contrasts the high of $9.680 from August of 2022. It's hard to be sure of the movement, but you best believe you can be sure of the volatility. The sell-off since mid-December has been less than kind to anyone who opened up any long positions on natural gas, but I do believe there's upside in the near future. Brent is back to an $80 barrel, as the spread between Brent and WTI opens to about $7 as it grows a little by little with each coming week. A $7 spread isn't really that bizarre, but fun things start to happen in the 8-ish dollar territory as more people opt to import cheaper WTI. Overall, everything seems to be selling a bit under what it's worth, but I won't complain about a $73 barrel after years of much, much lower prices. Next up is the rig count. Last week, I went on about a seeming plateau. Unfortunately, uh, it may have jinxed us because we lost 12 rigs from that last total. The last time we saw something close to this was the 11 rig decrease back in the beginning of September of 21. This leaves us at a total of 759 rigs still, which is 146 than we had last year, but still, that's, that's a pretty significant decrease. You don't see a lot of change across major basins, though. The Permian posted a 3-rig loss, and the Granite Wash dropped 1. Otherwise, not a whole lot happened. If we look at it from the state level, we see a big drop all across the country. Texas and Wyoming were both down 3, California lost 2, while Alaska, California, Colorado, Louisiana, and Utah dropped 1. The losses even extend to the sea as the Gulf of Mexico lost a rig. This seems like one of two options. It's possible that a small loss happened to line up for all of these territories. The data, however, tells a different story. We've sort of plateaued the rig count for several months, and commodity prices are only decreasing, which I would argue is probably what's pulling that total down. Keep an eye out next week, because a rig decrease of a similar magnitude could change from a one-off to a bearish attitude surrounding new exploration, which is already incredibly restricted from a CapEx perspective. Our last statistic to touch on is Nick Fernhout's weekly Thirsty Thursday piece. It's a boozy and fun weekly written post on www.rarepetro.com that does an excellent job at looking at domestic commodity inventories and what it might signal for national and international markets. If you missed it, here's the bare bones to get you what you need to know. This week's crude oil inventory data from the EIA shows an increase with a build of 4.14 million barrels. This is higher than the anticipated build of about 0.37 million barrels, pointing towards a decrease in the market. 
With a higher inventory, prices could potentially face downward pressure. Data from the API shows a build, although they expected a draw of 1 million barrels on the dot. This deviation from expectations could indicate a shift in the demand and supply balance and have an impact on prices in the near term. It's important to keep in mind that the API data is a preliminary reading and the more comprehensive data from the EIA will provide a clearer picture of the market. For the second week in a row, there's no change in SPR stockpiles. Gasoline is headed in the opposite direction of natural gas and oil. For the past month or so, that relief from high summertime gasoline prices has been wearing off, and I wouldn't worry too much about that happening again. However, in the meantime, it may mean paying a little bit extra to fill up. With refineries still recovering from cold snaps across the country and maintenance, we may be in for a few more weeks of slight gas price increases. The national gasoline average is 3,498 per gallon of regular, which is actually down 0.003 dollars from the previous week. Three tenths of a cent, I mean, we'll take it. So while there is a general increase in price over the month, this week remained relatively flat. Thanks again to Nick Fernhow for putting content together on that section. Next up, we've got some news stories to address. The first one was sent to me by Anthony McDaniels. India is now paying for Russia oil in dirhams, the currency of the UAE. This only builds on a recent emphasis on the weakening petrodollar and dollar in general. India has demonstrated that it has no problem consuming Russian oil, despite outcries from several of its neighbors, yet it still wants to protect itself against the many measures imposed all over the world to avoid any potential sanctions. At this point, Indian traders and refiners worry that they will not be able to continue to settle trades in dollars, especially with the EU's price cap rule, hence why they started trading in dirhams. This is exactly like going to the grocery store, handing the cashier your MasterCard, and then them saying, ah, I'm sorry, it's legal to use that card here, for you to just quickly hand them an American Express card instead. Sure, that metaphor is an oversimplification of currencies and commodities and international trade, but it highlights the total ineffectiveness of the ban. Not allowed to buy a barrel of Russian oil for $80 due to the EU's $45 price cap? Just pay for it with $80 worth of any other currency, and you're technically not violating anything. This also has the added benefit for India of allowing Russia to get further away from the control of the dollar and grow markets with their partners. A sanction is useless if a barrel is traded in anything else. Personally, I'm upset with the EU's decision because this could be one of the most pivotal landmarks for the petrodollar, as other countries continue to trade in anything else. It only makes our dollar that much weaker, and I would argue that much of the world loves to see that. I can only assume other countries are scrambling to set up international accounts that allow them to convert currencies and mimic the genius of India. The line has been drawn in the sand for quite some time now, and people are forced to step to either side. It has seemed like more and more folks are picking the side that detests the petrodollar. The next story sort of builds on that last one. Russia, Iran, and India are working together to develop a transport system that mixes rail, road, and water routes to reduce transportation costs and afford free operation without European sanctions. The foundation is already there, as we discussed in that last story, and all of the EU's pushing really just ended up pushing Iran closer to the BRICS-developing countries, and you can't quite blame them. Why play by stupid rules when you can create your own smaller markets? Still, growth won't be immediate as they are building on a small capacity system that runs over rough terrain, but the story could be different in as little as five years. This could build lots of commercial benefit for the Middle and Eastern Europe regions, which will only grow alliances in the area. If that's the case, 
why would anyone continue to trade on the dollar, especially if American oil makes up for a smaller percentage of their energy portfolio? Would they play by the rules because the U.S. and Western Europe asked them to very nicely? Fat chance. It hasn't worked yet, and I don't see it working soon. The article that Anthony shared with me regarding this topic has an excellent quote, and it is, quote, The EU policy of tightening the screws on Russia is a policy win, but the unintended consequence is that Europe is effectively importing inflation to its own citizens, end quote. Folks, I think that sums up the world events very well. The EU aimed to restrict oil sales from Russia to decrease the revenues generated from energy. They certainly did so in Western Europe, but hydrocarbons are a requirement for healthy, thriving economies, so they had the unintended consequence of just weakening the petrodollar and boosting international trade for Russia to other countries and markets. Just because the government means well with policy does not guarantee things will proceed as they expect. The EU may have crafted a policy that begins the downfall of the petrodollar, and they had no idea. I know it sounds doomed, but we really aren't. The dollar is so entrenched in energy markets, hell, it's the foundation, that there won't be a change overnight. We might see things evolve through the remainder of the decade, but we aren't a year out from living in shanties and burning dung for cooking fuel. Well, I guess I can't guarantee that. Let me knock on wood for that one. Either way, it is important to stay up to date on these things as they influence many aspects of your life, especially if you're in the industry. We love to research this stuff, so all you have to do is hit the follow button on whatever streaming provider you're listening through, or just find us on LinkedIn, or even better, our website, www.rarepetro.com. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.